Hello, and welcome to the Queen's Observatory Fast Radio Bursts. I am Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. It is our mission to bring exciting space news hot off the telescope and into your ears. One way or another, the Queen's Observatory has continued its practice of sharing the wonders of the universe since 1857. Thank you for joining us in this long-running tradition. Here at Fast Radio Bursts, we will answer your questions, interview astronomers, and dive deep into breaking research. From low Earth orbit to the clouds of Venus, from Betelgeuse to colliding black holes, it's a big universe to talk about, so let's get started. And welcome back. Hello, everyone. My name is Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. Hi, Nick. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, yeah, really looking forward to a little bit of a twist that we're taking today with our future exploration, uh, space exploration missions, but it's going to be fun. Yes, another, another very exciting thing that will hopefully be safe in space at some point. Fingers crossed. So, so as you can tell, we're continuing our future mission series. So far, we've, we've covered the Perseverance rover, which is now a past mission. The Ingenuity rover, or Ingenuity drone, sorry, which mm-hmm. at the time of recording is a fingers crossed future mission. Yeah. Because uh, there are some difficulties going on right now, but yeah. we'll see. Uh, our latest episode was about the Artemis lunar base, which I was so excited about. I <laughs> I covered I covered it. And now today we're going on to the JWST. Yeah. And this is a big subject, so we're doing it in two parts. And so once once those two are done, we will do our last episode of the Future Missions series. We're going to talk about the Dragonfly mission, which uh, is sort of a little further out there than the other missions we've talked about, but very exciting. And after the Dragonfly mission, we'll be moving on to our new ultra-fast radio burst series. We're going to be talking about dangerous things in space. So basically everything in space, right? <laughs> yeah, a bit, bit of a spoiler, but yeah, it's, it's everything. <laughs> so, so lots of exciting stuff coming up and lots of exciting stuff in this episode today. So um, I, think, I think the place to start with is the title. Nick, uh, you, you called this episode A Telescope for the Past. Can you tell us why JWST is a telescope for the past and what JWST is. Yeah, so JWST is called the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, It's named after James E. Webb, who served as the second appointed administrator to NASA in the 1960s under um, Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson as the presidents. Um, He oversaw the Mercury and the Gemini programs by NASA, so by now you must have picked up that this is another NASA mission that we're talking about. Um, it's going to be a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. Hubble Space Telescope was launched in the 90s. It's now getting a little old, um, but it's still going on. It's still running strong. And so we're going to send up another telescope to sort of complement the kind of science that Hubble has been doing for the past couple of decades. Um, in particular, JWST is going to be what we call an infrared observatory, an infrared telescope. Um, To simply explain infrared, it's just heat. Um, If you were to have... So now, even today, some of the mobile phones are starting to have infrared cameras, um, which essentially just record all the heat coming from your body. 
and and map it into into a picture. And so that's what James James Webb is going to do um, in space. Um, the reason why I named this episode a telescope for the past is because of this interesting thing in space, which is the further away you look, the more far back in time you look at. Um, so we can take something like Mars. Um, it takes light about 20 minutes to come from Mars to us. And so whenever we're directly looking at Mars, we're, we're looking at it in 20 minutes in the past. And that's because of the speed of light. Um, so the signal that is understood by our human body through the eyes is light. But because light has a speed, it takes a while. So something like the Andromeda galaxy is about a few million years, um, 21, if I'm not wrong, to be precise, uh, um, old in space. So anytime you look up at the Andromeda galaxy, you're looking at <clears throat> a few million years ago. So basically about two and a half. Yeah, two and a half million years ago. Um, so yeah, that's that's why this is a telescope for the past, and specifically because of how sort of the science goals, which we're going to take some time later on in in the episode to go through individually, have been built. These these science goals are built to really look at the early universe. Um, so the universe is about thirteen point eight. 13.9 billion years old, depending on which camp you are in. There's a hundred year, hundred million year difference. Um, and JWSD plans to sort of look at first when when sort of the first stars formed in the universe because they did something interesting. And in order to understand the baby universe, we need to understand those first stars. And then you have the first galaxies. So galaxies essentially are the building blocks of the large scale universe. And we don't have a clear picture of how galaxies form in the universe either. And James Webb is going to help us do that. Um, and then sort of come closer to our, our, our planet and look at how stars and planets form and what are the origins of life to some extent. Because today, we really can't have a telescope for a space mission without looking for life <laughs> on other planets. So yeah, those are sort of some of the main goals of um, JWST. And maybe an important part, something that I've been stressing, is the infrared part. And this is also involved in, in sort of looking at the past. So another interesting thing that happens in the universe is Doppler shifting of light. Um, there's, there's a few big words over here. Doppler shift is essentially, you can imagine, I think Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory did it the best. You can imagine just there we go. Thank you, Goner. <laughs> I, I can help with the sound effects. <laughs> yeah, so um, essentially it's just a change in the frequency or the change in the nature of the sound when an object is moving towards you and away from you. And so even light, because light is a wave, experiences that as well. So if something is coming towards us, it becomes bluer in color. And when something's moving away from us, it becomes redder in color. Everything in the universe, apart from th apart from things in our own galaxy, and maybe the Andromeda galaxy, are moving away from us in general. <laughs> and so everything becomes redder in color. And so the more red you get, you become infrared. And therefore, to look at things that are really far away, you need to look at things in the infrared regime of light. And that's why JWST is infrared. All right, so a telescope for the past is a very apt name, seeing as exactly. all of its main science goals are connected to understanding our past. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that the JWST is a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. Yeah. 
So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how the two telescopes compare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's important sort of to point out the fact that this is a successor and not a replacement for Hubble Space Telescope. Um, Hubble, it's now getting old. The technology is from the 80s, but it's still doing spectacular science work. Um, but specifically not in the infrared, more in the optical and the ultraviolet regimes of light. Um, so the biggest difference between JWST and Hubble is the fact that they're going to do um, similar sciences, but in different um, wavelengths or regimes of light. Hubble being optical and ultraviolet, JWST being infrared. And the only way we realized we need something like the JWST in space is based on sort of the findings of the Hubble Space Telescope. And so think about the, the classic image from, from Hubble. We're going to come back to this later again. It's, it's the deep field of Hubble, where Hubble just looked at a patch of space so almost as big as a rice grain for a few weeks and essentially discovered a plethora of, of galaxies, um, which sort of pointed out that there are way too many galaxies in the universe than we previously thought of. And sort of that is sort of the building blocks of what James Webb is going to start working off of. <clears throat> Maybe the next thing is um, sort of the technicality. We're going to visit the technicality more in, in the second episode, but James Webb Space Telescope has six times a larger area, collecting area for light compared to Hubble. Hubble had a mirror which was about two and a half meters, and James Webb is going to be at six and a half meters. Um, so three times. No. So collecting area, Connor, that's a very good point. Collecting area of a telescope goes squared. So you have, um, if something is twice as big, it, it's four times as more collecting because you're not just looking at the size of the mirror, you're looking at the area of the mirror. So um, that's why um, collection goes slightly differently. Um, thirdly, um, if you've been following up with James Webb Space Telescope, it's been in the news every year often. And, and the most important news about James Webb, the Webb Space Telescope in the recent times has been how it has been postponed for its launch. And, and what, Which is all the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, and one of the reasons why that is, is because of where James Webb Space Telescope is going in space. So Hubble is in low Earth orbit, so about 500, 500 meters up in uh, kilometers up in, uh, in altitude. James Webb is going to a million kilometers to a specific point called the L2, the second Lagrange point. Um, it's special because unlike Hubble, which goes around the Earth, um, JWST will go along with the Earth around the sun. Um, and this is important because it's an infrared uh, telescope and it needs to be cool at all times. Once again, going to get to the technical aspect in the next episode. So given the fact that the Hubble is uh, not the Hubble, but the JWST is going so far away. Once it's there, you can't really go there and fix it, as was the case with Hubble, because once Hubble went out, there was a little technical issue, and they fixed it. Um, you can't do that with JWST, unfortunately. So that's why they're being ultra-careful here. Everything has to work the first time. Exactly. <laughs> Some of the testing they've done on JWST is actually pretty hilarious to watch. They actually hook it up to this giant... A vibrator yeah. and just shake the JWST like crazy yeah. for several minutes just to see if anything falls off. Absolutely. Which, you know, it, there was a screw that fell off one time. So <laughs> and maybe that, that, that was, caused delays. Yeah, and maybe that was the reason why it was delayed. 
<laughs> that one screw. All right. So um, JWST is sort of the successor to <laughs> the Hubble Space Telescope. It's looking in the infrared regime. Um, are there other telescopes or observatories out there that look in the infrared regime? Um, or is JWST sort of blazing a new path? Yeah, that's a good question. No, uh, JW, well, to some extent it is, but also not. So it's a yes or no answer. Um, it's a yes. Proper science answer. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a yes because it's, it's going to do some new things that other previous uh, telescopes cannot do. Uh, but sec- but also we do know a couple infrared telescopes in space and on the ground. Uh, the reason for that is our atmosphere is interesting with the infrared light. So it red it lets through some of the light in the infrared regime to come down to Earth. So we don't need to go to space to observe that. And so now you can think of things like um, UCIRT, which stands for the United King- Kingdom Infrared Telescope, which is on Mauna Kea in Hawaii, which is a dedicated infrared telescope, but also most of the <clears throat> well-known optical telescopes will have an infrared infrared instrument attached to them. So you have the, the Canada-France-Hawaii telescope and the Gemini telescope, both on Mauna Kea, which have um, infrared cameras, MIRCAM at, which is the mid-infrared camera. For, for CFHT, and then you have VLT, which is a very, very large telescope in Chile by the Europeans, which also has a K-band or sort of mid-infrared uh, instrument for doing some imaging. So yes, you can have things on the ground, but then, as I said, there's some part of the infrared that is not let through by the atmosphere, and for that, you need to go to space. So we have things like Herschel, Wise, and, and Spitzer up in space, Wise being one of the more sort of recent ones that has sort of come in the news. So if you remember last year, there was a comet around this time of the year. So April, May, June, July. So in the summer, which was called the the Neowise comet. And then there was a number attached to it. I don't remember the number specifically, but the Neowise comet, the WISE is the WISE Observatory. It stands for Wide Field Infrared Space Explorer. Um, so that's where WISE comes from, or NeoWISE comes from. So yes, there are things up in space already, which do infrared, but yeah, and uh, JWST is going to start a new avenue for sure. All right. So uh, I think we've covered pretty well the context that JWST is entering into in mm-hmm. the scientific world. It's definitely not the only infrared telescope out there, but it is going to be the best in certain categories so after the break we're going to talk about some of the science goals and some of the science that really you can only do with jwst yeah all right see you then hello there i'm just stopping by to quickly let you know that the queen's observatory is always here to answer your space questions you can find us on facebook twitter youtube and our website Links to all of these are in the podcast description. We're always happy to talk about the universe, and if you ask a really big question, we just might have to do a podcast about it. I would also like to mention some of the other great resources out there. In the podcast description, you will find links to the McDonald Institute, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Astronomy on Tap program. They are all excellent programs to bring the universe down to Earth. And with that, let's get back to it. And welcome back. So, as I mentioned, we've 
covered the context that the JWST is, is entering into, how it compares with the Hubble Space Telescope, and that it's not the only infrared telescope out there. So uh, we should probably talk about what it is that JWST can do and why we need it. So what, what, what kind of science is are we going to do with JWST? Right. Um, so JWST has four primary goals. Um, I think I hinted to them earlier on, but we're going to talk about them again in, in that now. Um, the first one is to understand something called reionization in the universe and the formation of first stars. Um, the second thing is to understand how galaxies assemble, form together, and why is that important? Because they make up the structural blocks, sort of the Lego blocks of, of the universe, interestingly. So we need to understand those. The third is to really look at stars um, and understand how stars are converted from clouds of gas to just things that produce energy of their own. We, we, we don't understand that currently completely. And so JWST is going to probe a path there. And finally, as I said, no telescope fulfills its duties without looking for aliens or understanding life. And so JWST is going to try and do that. It's going to look at exoplanets and try and study the atmospheres of exoplanets um, in, in to better understand what kind of things actually lead to life on planets. So those are the four primary goals of <coughs> JWST. Um I think the next thing we're going to do is just try and dive into um, each one of them for a little while. Sound good? All right, then. Yeah. Let's, why don't we start at the beginning? <laughs> uh, the first stars and reionization. So what what is reionization? Yeah, sure. Um, so to understand reionization, we need to go back to the start of the universe itself. So in the beginning... The universe was essentially just a hot soup of particles. Um, you can think of protons, electrons, neutrons. Um, and the universe itself was so hot that these things could not combine to form atoms that we know of today. But as the universe sort of expanded and cooled down, these things started to combine and, and form atoms. So you've got a lot of hydrogen, a little bit of helium, a smidge of sprinkle and smidge of beryllium and lithium. Um, and these things then went on to form stars. These were the first stars. And this period was called the recombination period. And these first stars, we, we don't completely understand them because we've actually never observed them. And so JWST is going to be sort of the first ones to observe these first stars. Um, we think we're about 300 to 1,000 times the mass of our sun. They were ginormous, and they were mainly made up of hydrogen. And because they were so big, they would live a very small amount of time. So the bigger the star, the faster it burns its fuel and the smaller it lives. So these stars would live for about a million or three million years. And what would happen is once these stars would go supernova, the nearby hydrogen gas would get all the energy from the star and then break again into protons and electrons. And this is the period of reionization. That happened. Basically, the universe formed into hydrogen and helium. The first stars formed, and then the universe broke again, essentially, into its elementary particles. And we don't understand that very, very well, particularly because we don't have strong enough equipment to look back that far in time. And so JWST is going to be sort of the first instrument given its large collecting area and, and sort of the infrared radi uh, wavelengths that it's looking into, that it's going to be able to do something along the lines of Hubble Deep Field 
or the extreme deep field that, that I earlier talked about, which was just look at this tiny patch of sky and stare at it for a while and you discover all of these galaxies. So that's what uh, JWST is going to do with a tiny patch of sky. But because it's infrared, it's going to cast things from much further back in time as well. And so you're now going to get to do a survey of sort of the first structures, the first stars that are have, have just formed in the universe. And through those uh, deep field images, you're going to be able to better understand what's going on in the early years of the universe. And so that's sort of the first goal of JWST. Wow, it's, it's exciting to push so far back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really just imagine the universe was just a few billion years old at that point in time. Uh, Reionization, we think, started around a billion years old. So we're looking back 12 billion years in, in time. It's a long way to go. Definitely uh, fitting the name of, the, yes. of this episode. Absolutely. So next, I think we should get on to one of the subjects that's uh, closer to my heart. Yeah, near and dear to both our galaxies. Yeah. Um, yeah, so once again, because of the properties of the universe and, and how JWST is designed to look into infrared, JWST is going to be able to look into like sort of the first galaxies that's formed that formed in the universe. Um, and there, there are a few questions in the, uh, in, in the field of extragalactic astronomy that are there today that we don't completely understand. And those are things like when you look at galaxies, they're either beautiful spiral arms just going around in circles or they're just a smudge of the sky. So understanding why there are only just these two kinds of galaxies that dominate the universe, we need to go back and look at them early on. Secondly, um, we all believe, it's now well known, all galaxies have a central black hole. But currently, we don't have theories as to, or we don't have confirmations of, of theories as to what makes those black holes become so big. One of the ideologies is back in reionization, when you had these massive stars, which were a thousand times the mass of the sun, when they went supernova, they would have formed black holes and then combined together to form even bigger black holes. And... And that's how these supermassive black holes came into existence. But we need to observe things in the early universe to understand them. And then mergers um, is another part of <clears throat> um, galaxy evolution. Basically, um, you think about our Milky Way. You think about the nearest galaxy to us is Andromeda, the nearest big galaxy at least. And then you, if you ever have ventured down the southern hemisphere, you've seen the large Magellanic and the small Magellanic clouds. And the reason why these, these galaxies, the Magellanic clouds specifically, are important to us is because they're colliding with the Milky Way. They're interacting with the Milky Way. And one of the interesting things in the, in the field of extragalactic astronomy is understanding what happens to a galaxy when it merges with other galaxies, be it smaller galaxies like the Magellanic clouds or be it behemoths coming our way, essentially a freight train coming our way like the Andromeda galaxy. Um, and so these are things that ha were happening a lot more earlier on in the universe. And so now, if we can look back, we, we are able to understand that better. Basically, what uh, the JWST telescope, is, or JWST instruments are going to help us do is to basically build a timeline. We have enough telescopes out there on Earth and in space to observe galaxies today. JWST is going to look at earlier galaxies, and now suddenly we're able to build connections between early galaxies and galaxies that we see today to answer questions like, how were galaxies formed first up? Very exciting. <coughs> All right. Getting a timeline for the universe 
seems like a pretty cool project. <laughs> um, but JWST is full of cool projects, so <laughs> exactly. we should probably go on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, so um, maybe you can explain a little more about how JWST will study the births of stars and planets. Right. Um, Some of the more modern ones, not the first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is where um, this is something that it is very hard for us to do with with optical telescopes. So let's we're we're in Canada. Um, we, we talk about Canadian contributions in astronomy. We talk about the Canadian night sky a lot. So let's pick an example with respect to that. Let's talk about the Orion Nebula. Um, we know from studies done by many astronomers uh, that the Orion Nebula is sort of the site for formation of new stars. And, and that is because these studies have been done through either radio telescopes. Maybe one of the future series that we might have is to really do a survey of radio telescopes and on Earth and and other sort of longer wavelength or other electromagnetic radiation um, telescopes. And what they tell us is there's a lot of dust in something like the Orion Nebula. Um, and so when you look at it through your optical telescope, and I really encourage all our listeners to just Google the Orion Nebula, and what you'll see is red color and then just a lot of brown. And that brown is dust. Um, it's cold particles made up of carbon and silicates that just form together and block light. Um, but the cool thing there is they only block optical light. They don't block infrared light. And so if you want to study how new stars form, you, by definition, need to get past that dust, which is essentially the bane of existence for every astronomer. <laughs> um, and and you, you look at these new stars. So the basics of JWST being an infrared telescope, it's going to be able to um, peer through this dust and look at these sites of new star formation and understand what is going on. Because right now, like go back 60 odd years, we did not know that stars are powered through fusion, uh, fission, fusion, fusion. Um, and, and now we know that. And then we move on and we learned a little bit more about how stars evolve and, and sources of supernovas and whatnot. And today we are at a place where we understand sort of the basics of stellar evolution quite a bit, but we don't necessarily know how stars are born. The basic physics of how a cloud gets converted into a star is not available to us. And JWST is going to be able to sort of push forward in our understanding there. Um, one thing I'd like to ask our, my listeners, our listeners rather, to do is to look up the pillars of creation. I think that's sort of the epitome of looking at infrared observations. Look at the pillars of creation in optical light done by Hubble, and then look at it in infrared, and you see like 100 times more stars in, in that site. And that's because the dust is blocking most of it. Yeah, it almost looks like a screen has just been lifted from exactly. your camera, and suddenly now you can actually see everything. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why JWST is important. All right. Well, that, that leads us to our last uh, science goal or primary science goal of JWST. Astronomers are already scrambling to book as much JWST time yeah. as they can. So there's going to be really hundreds of science goals, but their last primary goal is to look at the origins of life and study the atmosphere of exoplanets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little more about how they plan to do that and what they hope to learn? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I recommend just going onto the JWST website and looking at the, the primary goal, this particular primary goal. And then the first picture that pops up is a picture of a pulsar 
and then a planet. And then this is going back in history because first the first exoplanet that was ever discovered was near a pulsar, was through a pulsar. And, and pulsar is highly energetic radiation. I mean, our sun is also throwing radiation at us. That's one of the reasons why we get the northern or the southern lights. Um, it's the radiation from the sun interacting with the atmosphere of, of the earth uh, specifically. And so this sort of almost put forward an idea. What if we could look at essentially northern or the southern lights in, in other planets? So basically look at the light once it's interacted through the atmosphere of an exoplanet and study the difference. Um, and so what happens is, depending on the content of, of your atmosphere, the kind of that light that comes out once it's passed through the atmosphere is going to be different. And that's going to give us what kind of contents there are in the atmosphere. This is called spectroscopy, essentially breaking the light down into sort of the rainbow that we we, we are very accustomed with. But because the light is passing through different mediums, it breaks down or it shows different colors. And once you have those colors, you can sort of estimate um, what kind of... I had a list here. In that one. Oh, yeah. What kind of weather patterns or what kind of colors actually emerge and, and what kind of rotation or where this planet is around its its host star. And those things are good. I, Go ahead. I, I think I should add a, a note about the difficulty of doing this <laughs> because you're you're looking at looking through these thin atmospheres of a planet that's put itself in front of a star which is yeah. just bathing you in light. So it's almost like trying to detect the color of someone's pen light while their car headlights are pointed right into your eyes. Oh, absolutely, uh, yes. Uh, maybe me talking is, is making the sound a lot easier than it is, but trust me, it is not easy. And that's why we're sending a $9 billion equipment out there to, <laughs> to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so once you're able to sort of pick up those signals from the atmosphere, you're going to be able to characterize that atmosphere. And comparing... The host star to our star, you you can now start to sort of build up theories as to why life originated on our planet if you are able to find atmospheres that sort of represent atmospheres of early Earth because we know what the atmosphere of early Earth was like or current Earth even and basically probe out the question as to why we have life on this planet and not many others that we know of. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll find one. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, um, I think with that exciting note we'll we'll leave off for today how many uh, podcasts have we ended with just talking about either aliens or life on another planet <laughs> there have been quite a few it's a recurring quite theme. A few. maybe not enough maybe we'll have to do more <laughs> absolutely so so yeah we we've we've now talked about what JWST can really do for its major science goals. But I think for the next episode, we're going to focus on the technical details and why James Webb is worth its $9 billion price tag. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll see you at the next episode. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Queens Observatory's Fast Radio Burst. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the universe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us via email at queensuobservatory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Queen's University Observatory to stay up to date.
If you like this podcast, you can help us by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. This will help us become more visible and spread the wonders of the universe to more people. That is all from us. We'll be back again with another exciting topic in astronomy.